0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. 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 All right. Um, So we're continuing uh, our series on preaching the gospel this week. And we're doing so by talking about hospitality. That is, opening our homes and opening our lives to our neighbors in the name of Jesus. Now, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about hospitality because it's important. Hospitality is absolutely central to the spread of the gospel in our day. Less and less people are willing to come to church. Less and less people are uh, willing to attend a crusade-type event or to listen to your gospel presentation. Our beliefs appear backward to most and even harmful to some. And we don't have the cultural credibility that we used to as Christians. So what then? What's the answer to our situation? Simple. It's radically ordinary hospitality. The gospel is not going to spread in stadiums and over PA systems, but at a table over a meal. Introducing others to Jesus is not going to look like a man on a stage and a big crowd in front of him, but an open door, a pot roast, and an extra leaf on the table for your guests. It's going to look like a heartfelt conversation. It's going to look like letting some things slide, but also being clear about where our convictions lie. In a word, spreading the gospel is going to look a lot more like Jesus, who broke bread with sinners and outcasts and welcomed them into his presence. We're going to talk about hospitality this morning, but I want to begin first by trying to give it a definition. Now, hospitality naturally brings to mind a number of images. Hotels, cheap or expensive, an uncomfortably welcoming person, or visiting the American South, or etc. So to begin with, we need to define hospitality as it's biblically understood. Now, Rosaria Butterfield, you may have heard that name, uh, she's the modern-day apostle of hospitality, and she defines it this way. Hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors family of God. So it's using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers' neighbors and neighbors' family of God. So hospitality is not simply about being nice and welcoming for its own sake, though that's a good thing. Hospitality has a missional emphasis. We open our lives and our homes to our neighbors to make them brothers and sisters in Christ. So the end goal, in other words, is conversion, to bring someone from darkness to light. Now, I should stop there and just get one potential misunderstanding out of the way. Our goal in hospitality is clearly evangelization, but that doesn't mean we treat people as projects. Hospitality is not to change people, but it's to offer them a space where change can take place. Or that can happen. In other words, our welcome of people should be genuine, not as a means to an end. Welcoming them creates a space where discipleship and evangelization can happen. So, let's just put it into a neat formula moving forward. Hospitality equals an environment of welcome plus the conversion of our neighbor. Hospitality equals an environment of welcome plus the conversion of our neighbor. So I want to break down that formula in more more detail. But first, I just want to underline for us the importance of hospitality. Now, we know that we should read the scriptures, that we should spend time in prayer, that we should attend church and give and even volunteer our time for the different things that are going on. But hospitality? It seems more like a secondary concern in the Christian life. Hospitality seems like it's something for those who have the particular gifts and aptitude for that kind of thing. It seems like a secondary concern. However, if you survey the scope of the biblical teaching, hospitality is a primary emphasis in the Christian life. Paul tells us, Romans chapter 12, verse 13, very simply, practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Now, in the original language, it's quite a bit stronger. He uses the word dioko, and it means to run swiftly, or to pursue, even to persecute. And it paints a picture, this word that Paul uses, in which we're hunting something down, and which we're pursuing it, in this case, hospitality. In fact, some of your translations may read that way, pursue hospitality or be devoted to hospitality. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that it's not a secondary pursuit in the Christian life. Hospitality is central, and it's something that we're to be after. It's something which we're to pursue with our time, and resources. So, why is hospitality important? Why is it one of these things that we can place alongside the central disciplines of the Christian life? Well, the answer is pretty simple, because hospitality gets to the very nature of the good news. When God rescues and redeems, it looks a lot like hospitality. He told the Israelites after the Exodus, chapter 19, 19, verse 4, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and, listen, brought you to myself. The Israelites were slaves in a very inhospitable land. Once they were welcomed, but now they are oppressed and put to hard labor. But God intervened, and he beat back their oppressors, destroying the Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Now, for what purpose? Well, it was to bring them to himself. That is, to welcome them into his presence, that they would always be near him. I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And Israel was never to forget this, what God had done for them. And God commanded them to be welcoming, to show hospitality to outsiders and strangers, because that's who they were. Exodus chapter 23, verse 9, God says to his children, Israel, "'You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger.'" for you were also strangers in the land of Egypt. So Israel was supposed to remember that experience. What it was like to be treated that way in Egypt and then to be delivered by God and brought near to him, welcomed into his presence. They were to remember that and then treat strangers accordingly. So hospitality was at the very heart of what it meant for Israel to be Israel. God welcomed them, and they were to welcome others. And that very same movement of salvation from inhospitality to hospitality is the same for us, too. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he came as a guest. Luke chapter 9, verse 58, foxes have holes, birds have nests... But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't own land. He didn't have his own home to retire to. He made himself entirely dependent on the hospitality of others. And if you look throughout the Gospels, especially in Luke, he sends his disciples out in the same way. Don't take a cloak. Don't take a bag. Don't take any provisions with you and learn to rely on the hospitality of others. If it's a home of peace, stay there. If not, shake the dust off your feet and go. And faith often looks like hospitality. And a lack of faith looks like inhospitality. Think of that great story in Luke chapter 7, where Simon invites Jesus into his house and then snubs him. He gives him no water to wash his feet. He gives him no oil to anoint his head. He gives him no kiss of greeting. He rejects Jesus, though he invites him into his home. And then who comes in? The sinful woman, a prostitute. And she falls at Jesus' feet and gives him all these means of hospitality that Simon denied. And Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Or think of Zacchaeus, who welcomed Jesus into his home. Zacchaeus, today I must stay with you. Or think of the Samaritans. When Jesus was passing through, it says they did not receive him. Faith often looks like hospitality, welcoming Jesus. And lack of faith looks like inhospitality, denying him a welcome into our lives. Now, ultimately, the world proved to be a pretty inhospitable place to Jesus. We cast him out and we put him to death on a cross. But God transformed our rejection of Jesus into his reception of us. So we pushed Jesus away, and through it, through our very rejection of him, God brought us near. There is no defeating God. So what does it mean, if we can boil it down, what does it mean to be a Christian? We could say this. It means to be someone whom God has welcomed in. Someone whom he's brought near. That's why I insist on sharing the Lord's Supper every week. I know sometimes we don't feel it. Or sometimes we don't understand it. But that's okay. Because it's a reminder of who we are. We are those whom God welcomes to his table. Whom God nourishes us on true bread and true drink. And that puts hospitality at the very nerve of the Christian faith. We are those whom God has welcomed into his own life. And hospitality, therefore, is something that cannot be set aside without compromising the basic structure of things. I want that to sink in a bit, that hospitality is central. How do you think of yourself? As an insider who deserves a seat at the table? Who has a right to gather around the meal that Jesus provides, or do you see yourself as an outsider who's been graciously welcomed in by Jesus? Now, whatever answer it is, it's going to determine your attitude toward hospitality. The entitled act entitled, but those who have been given welcome themselves give welcome. Welcome. We are not insiders who deserve a place at the table, or outsiders who Jesus has graciously welcomed into his presence. And what great news that is. I was once out in the dark. I was once hungry and cold and with no place to rest my head, but God opened his home to me. He sent his son to take me by the hand, to lead me in, and to fill my stomach and my heart with good things. And not only that, not only did he let me in, he made me his son. He handed me the keys, and he signed my name to the estate. I have more in God's welcome than I could have ever asked for or dreamed up. And because of that, I will eat at his table and raise up the cup of salvation forever grateful and forever glad because of God's great and welcoming heart. We've been brought near. That's who we are. Now, there's much more to say, and I really want to make that point as clear as I can, but we need to move on and return to our formula. Hospitality equals an environment of welcome plus the conversion of our neighbor. So let's take a look at that first part. An environment of welcome, and talk about some of the obstacles that sort of stand in the way there. So can you think of a time in your life uh, when you felt particularly welcomed? A time in your life where you felt particularly welcomed. What about a time when you were not welcomed? When you found yourself snubbed or on the outside looking in? Now, I once found myself as a Hispanic man in the deep south, at a festival in the smoky mountains of Tennessee. It was summer, and I had been outside the whole time, and therefore I was particularly tan. But I did everything to blend in, down to the boots, into the camo hat, went to the local, uh, local, uh, what is it, thrift store, got what I needed. And yet, when I got there, that feeling of you don't belong here was palpable. It was. And I'll never forget it. Um, Of course, it wasn't from everyone. I found the South to be very welcoming in general, but it was that place in particular way up in the mountains. And I'll never forget that feeling of, oh, I don't belong here. I don't fit in. On the other hand, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know what to do, right, like most of us when we become a Christian. So I just showed up to the church building all the time. And I remember one of the very first times that I came, the pastoral staff was taking orders for lunch. And the pastor asked me what I wanted, a double burger with Coke and some seasoned fries. And he paid for it. And he invited me to sit at the table with them. And they talked to me, and they welcomed me, and they got to know me. And I didn't recognize it at the time, but that was a very, very pivotal moment in my life. If things had gone differently, and I maybe had a bad experience at the church, who knows if the faith would have just been a temporary thing for me, if I wouldn't have hung on. Hospitality makes all the difference. And we, each of us, are familiar with both sides of the coin, aren't we? We know what it feels like to be excluded and overlooked. And we know what it feels like to be welcomed And to be put at ease. Now, Jesus, without question, was a welcoming presence. As the Gospels make clear, people, especially sinners, flocked to Jesus. Imagine for a moment being one of those outcasts in Israel. Put yourself in that situation for just a moment. You're separated from your community. You're separated from basic dignity because of either something that happened to you, say a disease or leprosy, or because something that you had done, some particular sin. Now imagine the shame, what it feels like to have the critical gaze of others always following you. Imagine what it feels like walking among the people with your eyes down, not wanting to make contact. Imagine that for most of your adult life. And then you meet Jesus, expecting one thing but receiving another. He welcomes you without reservation. He talks to you. He listens to you. You know for certain that he is superior to you. Yet he treats you as a friend, when all the other religious leaders don't have even the time of day for you. And he hardly even has to talk to you about sin and about your failure. You're already wanting to leave it behind. You want to live like this man. You want to devote your life to him because of how he welcomes you. This is the welcome of grace. This is that sinful woman in Luke 7. This is the other sinful woman in John chapter 8. This is Levi. This is those tax collectors and sinners that ate and broke bread with Jesus. This is the welcome of grace, and this is what we're called to. Hospitality creates an environment of welcome. It throws open that grace to everyone and draws them near. Now, I think... In our day, that there are really two main obstacles that stand in the way of this welcome of grace, of giving that to other people. And both of those things have to deal with modern life, I think. And the first is simply pace it's that we're busy. I heard it put it this way you may not be too sinful for Jesus to use you, but you may be too busy. The direction of modern life pushes us away from hospitality. It leads us to busy ourselves with work and commutes and screens, but not deep relationships. If we're to have those, those have to be pursued upstream with deliberate intention. And on top of that, there's just the issue that forming relationships in our day is just plain hard. It used to be more natural before modern technology. Things like vehicles and grocery stores and fast food and hotels. These have made us less dependent upon our neighbors. And then you add internet and social media to the mix, and you've got a recipe for what we have today, which is widespread isolation, where people are living near each other and we don't know who our neighbors are, we don't bother with them because we have everything we need right in front of us. So we're busy and we're isolated. And therefore, when I talk about hospitality, I imagine that it seems like just another burden. It feels like just another item on the schedule, another thing that I have to fit into my life. Well, after an intense period of ministry, Jesus and the rest of his disciples They withdrew from the public, out away from everyone to go rest. Now, it's important we do the same, right? That we recognize our limits. But sometimes, that rest is interrupted. The people caught wind of Jesus' whereabouts, and they followed him out into the wilderness. And Luke tells us that Jesus went out to them, chapter 9, verse 11, welcoming them he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God uh, and curing those who had need of healing. So Jesus tries to get away. The people hunt him down anyway. And he goes out there and he welcomes them. Jesus demonstrates here for us what it means to be hospitable. It's not convenient. It doesn't always fit our schedule, but it's what we're called to. He didn't send the people away. He didn't say, guys, I don't have the time, I'm busy, me and my disciples are doing this thing. He welcomed them, and he provided for them. But his disciples, they weren't as available. As night approached, they said to Jesus, verse 12 of chapter 9, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. And of course, that sounds reasonable to our calculating logic. We're in the wilderness, it's late, they've already interrupted our thing, send them away. But not to Jesus. He responds rather sharply to his disciples. Verse 13, he says, you give them something to eat. You feed them, you take care of them. In other words, those neighbors of ours, even when they are an inconvenience, remain our responsibility. We are to give them no other than the welcome of Jesus. But of course, the disciples don't have anything to give. Yet Jesus commands them to give anyway, and that's where he takes over. From five meager loaves and two fish, he satisfies the hunger of thousands. Listen, Jesus doesn't ask anything from you but your availability. He takes your non-existent resources and he works wonders with them. But the first thing he needs, the first thing he wants from you is to be available, is to open up, to welcome as he has done. And that's the first part of hospitality is just simply making room in our lives for our neighbors. And again, Modern life is bent in the opposite direction. It leads us toward isolation. So making room probably means changing our lifestyles a bit. We have the tendency, and it's very natural, to treat our homes like castles, equipped with moats and alligators to keep visitors out. But how about we think of our homes as not castles, but outposts for the kingdom of God? Not ours, but something that God has given to us to advance the purposes of his kingdom. He wants our home to be like his home, where there's an open door to sinners and outcasts. Now, the second obstacle that confronts us, I think, is simply fear. And this, too, is a societal thing. Our technologically-induced isolation breeds suspicion and fear. Because we're disconnected from one another in real life, we relate to others as they're portrayed to us in the media. That is, we don't see real people with real stories, with real dreams and real fears for their life, but we see members of a group, people that we can classify, classify and then write off. And as a result, Those boundaries are never crossed, or at least in our society, it's becoming harder and harder to cross those boundaries. We stay in our lane, and they stay in theirs. But of course, Jesus' example teaches us to do otherwise. To most in Jesus' day, he crossed lines that he should not have crossed. He did things, he welcomed people in a way that drew the ire of the people and when the scripture uses, it, rather it uses one main word to describe people's response to Jesus' hospitality. It's the word grumble. When Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus's house, Luke tells us the people began to grumble, saying, "He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner." Now Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and though no one likes the tax man, That hatred doesn't carry over in the same way to our day. Bring to mind the group of people, just for a moment, that offends you and angers you the most. Bring them to mind. This is the one time I'll ask you to do that in church. Bring them to mind, and imagine Jesus spending time with those people, welcoming them, eating and drinking with them, and having a good time, and maybe not our crowd, That gets us closer to the complaint. That gets us closer to the attitude and the reaction that people would have had to Jesus' hospitality. You see, hospitality presses us to cultivate a profound love for people who are different from us. How strange that is in our day. And to to go about that cultivation, I just want to encourage you to do two things. And I'm just speaking from my own experience here. The first is to connect from the culture war because it doesn't help us to love one another. As I said, my own personal experience. The more time I spend online indulging in the polemics, the less likely I am to see such and such a person as God would see them. My attitude becomes less compassionate and more callous and more cynical. And it runs counter to the very spirit that hospitality seeks to cultivate. How am I going to be welcoming to this person when I'm harboring these feelings and so on and so forth in my heart? So that's the first thing, to sort of disconnect from, from, from whatever that is. And the second thing is just to see our neighbors rightly. James puts it negatively. He says, We curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, my brethren, things ought not to be this way. You know, we may find ourselves opposed to our neighbors ideologically and opposed to our neighbors politically, but we cannot be opposed to them finally. Why? Well, because, as James tells us, they bear the image and likeness of God. In those very neighbors lies a trace of him whom we love with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Those very people are the ones that we're bound to love by virtue of who their creator is. Now, I don't live in a great neighborhood, and sometimes that's hard for me. I'm quickly turning into a curmudgeonly old man. The incessant barking, the loud music, the fast driving will do that to a person. You know, not to mention those sly drug deals on the corner. However, (laughs) the other day, I just tried to see my neighbors. Not my complaints, but the actual people. And I've got my little wall that we made, and I was sitting down studying for this thing, and I just decided as they're blasting their music to peek over and look at their faces. And it softened my stony heart. Here are people, your neighbors, that God loves, that bear a great dignity because of whose image they were created in, that have come in all likelihood from much harder backgrounds than we have. It might be hard to live by them, but I think that's the point. Jesus, the scripture says, came to his own, and his own what? Did not receive him. He came down into our neighborhood, so to speak, which is not exactly a gated community. He took up residence among us, and he loved us. Even when we were lousy company and bad neighbors, he died for his enemies. Now, God wants us to open Our hearts to our neighbors, just like He opened His heart to us in His Son Jesus. I just want to ask you, what might that look like for you in your situation, at your home? What would you need to change to be welcoming to outsiders, to your neighbors? What attitudes would need adjustment? What lifestyle choices would need to be rethought? What would need to be added to the mix? a little bit more courage, a little bit more love, whatever it might be. Now, I know that some of those things are big things I, because some of them are for me. But the point is, what I've been trying to underlie is that hospitality is worth it. It is a worthy and noble end to which we're called, and it's worth disrupting what we have around us. Now, I also mentioned that hospitality is the need of the hour, and that truly in our day, it's the best mission strategy. I I genuinely believe that. However, it was Jesus' mission strategy before ours. So getting to our text this morning. When Levi became a disciple, it says that he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So he threw a party. And Luke tells us, chapter 5, verse 29, there were a great crowd of tax collectors and other people with them. So Luke, just coming off the streets to Jesus, so to speak, and he invites all his friends, everybody he knows. And of course, Luke's friends are like Luke, they're tax collectors. So you can imagine uh, the scene. Uh, a, A great spread of food, good wine, and Jesus at the center of attention. All these people and Jesus as the guest of honor in Levi's house. And he was a tax collector, so you know he had money, and it was a big party in a beautiful home. But the Pharisees crashed the party. Now, the problem wasn't the party. The Pharisees knew that the kingdom of God was going to be a party. Their objection was with the guest list. They began grumbling, there's our word again, at his disciples. The passage says, saying... Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Chapter 5, verse 30. So to them, Jesus' table fellowship, having a meal with tax collectors and sinners, was deeply suspicious. It looked like compromise. It looked like he was blurring the line a little bit. Now it's important to know that because that's often a concern that people have with hospitality. Hospitality. I'm not sending the wrong message, or am I sending the wrong message by welcoming these people into my home? Am I opening myself and my family up to moral impurity? The Pharisees have a point. Holiness is about separation, after all. But again, notice Jesus' response. It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the Pharisees interpreted Jesus' hospitality as compromise, but he said it's about repentance. He's a physician who makes sinners well around the table with bread and drink. In short, hospitality was Jesus' mission strategy, and it can be ours too. But what about this moral component? Right? What about this moral component and the questions that hospitality raises? Now, it's real, and it's something we should be concerned about. But the first thing I, I want to do here as we uh, draw to a close, the first thing I want to do is just get rid of some silly ideas um, that are out there about having non-believers into your home. Their mere presence is not going to contaminate you or your family or your home. That's what the Pharisees thought, right? Even sharing a meal with sinners made them impure. But clearly Jesus thought differently. He said to his disciples, Mark 7:15, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile him. So impurity is not like a germ that can be passed by mere contact and association. Jesus says it's what's in here and what proceeds out of a man. That's what defiles him. However, that's not to say that hospitality is not going to put you in some awkward situations from time to time. It most certainly will as you welcome your home to neighbors. You know, what are you supposed to do when your neighbor drops an F-bomb around the kids? Or when they smell of alcohol or marijuana? Or when hot button issues come up around the table? These are complicated matters, for sure, but they're unavoidable. Listen, unless we locked ourselves away in the church, then sooner or later, we're going to have to figure out how to live in the world. And it might not be at our table, but it will be somewhere. Somewhere we're going to be put in those situations where the world and the church butt up against one another. Now, I would argue that your table is the best place to handle these encounters. It's not at work where others are watching. It's not at the gym or a school function, but your home, at the table, where there's understanding, where there's safety, where there's an environment set where these conversations can happen and they don't turn into virtue signaling, where we can actually get to know and to love our neighbor. And I would also say that opening yourself up to these sort of awkward and difficult situations is the point of hospitality. Matthew chapter 5, verse 47, Jesus says, If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? The distinguishing marker of Christian hospitality, as opposed to sort of any other variety of hospitality, is that it's not afraid to open up to anyone. It knows that acceptance is not the same thing as approval. Rosario Butterfield put it this way, Radically ordinary hospitality characterizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. The truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. They don't buy the world's bunk about this, and they courageously accept and respect people who think differently from them. They don't worry that others will misinterpret their friendship. And she says this, Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. So there's a difference. And I would ask, if kids are the issue, and I know that is, I would gently ask you to consider the message that a closed home sends to your kids. We're rightly concerned not to overexpose our children to the world, But what if in the process we underexpose them to the radical hospitality of Jesus? What if they come to think, because of our closed home, that the gospel is for good people? What if they see us welcoming people who are only like us? Instead, let them see parents and grandparents who are serious and courageous about welcoming the outsider, because that's what Jesus does, and I think that message is so much more powerful. And lastly, I just want to say a word to the introverts out there. I'm with you. Now, I'm sure some of us hear this and think, oh no, I'm not that kind of person. That's not for me. (laughs) Hospitality, not for me. And I get it, right? My idea of a good evening sounds like uh, a cigar and a book and my backyard, and nobody else. Hospitality sometimes sounds like a nightmare. But listen, God calls us to hard things. God calls us to hard things. Don't make an idol of your personality. You know, Moses, he tried to back out when God called him. And what did he do? He pointed to all his natural inabilities. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue, he said to God like somehow God didn't already know when he chose Moses. Yet God said to him, he reassured him, I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. Listen, God knows more about you than even you do. And if you think that you cannot do something that he's called you to do, in this case, hospitality, guess who's wrong? It's not him, but it's you. Don't be afraid. Our competency to do these things doesn't come from us. It comes from God. So take a step of faith. Be willing to venture out. Invite people into your home. So let me say, radically ordinary hospitality is the need of the hour. Not just for our society and the whole church, but for our church. And let me just encourage you. Rise to the occasion. Now, I know that not everyone in our congregation can commit to something like this. Your season of life occupies you with other things, and that's okay. Do what you can, and I don't lay any further burden upon you. However, there are others in our congregation who are perfectly suited for this kind of thing. And listen, the brunt of the responsibility lies on your shoulders. Now I don't say that to intimidate you, but to embolden you. It's you or no one. It's your home or no home. The church is at a crossroads, and it will be those who practice radically ordinary hospitality who succeed. It'll be those who open their homes that see the fruit of the gospel and the power of the kingdom of God. It's that way or it's no other way. So I'd encourage us, all sort of timid and fearful, let's come to the one true table now. God's table. He welcomes us and his son Jesus, sinners, outcasts who have no place, to find a place with him. Receive that grace and allow it to encourage you, to embolden you, to pursue the mission of God in the world. So come forward now, receive the elements, and I'll lead us in just one moment.